Okay, this is E.J. Musa with The Naked Truth for September 19th, 2019, and this afternoon I have the pleasure of speaking with Council Member Chris Coughlin, who will be seeking re-election uh, this fall in our November election for Johns Creek, and we're going to have a conversation on some current issues. Uh, we're going to talk about successes, we're going to talk about seeking re-election and opportunities over the next four years, and uh, we're also going to touch on the topic of divisiveness, so I do hope you stay tuned for this conversation. Welcome, Chris Coughlin. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Ernest, and I appreciate you having me today. Well, thank you, and in full disclosure, I would like uh, the listeners to know that in the past I have been a supporter of Chris Coughlin for election, not only for the stub race, but also um, for the term in which you uh, um, competed against Jay Lynn, and then also for uh, your candidacy for the open seat left by Bob Gray. So, and if you know, as long as everyone understands that I have been a supporter of you, and um, I think that will be good for everyone. So, hey, transparency is a good thing, Ernest. So, and let's make it clear that I have criticized you just as I've criticized anyone else over the last four years including writing emails and questioning processes that I've seen the city of Johns Creek undertaking. So with that in mind, let's talk about um, what you have seen as progress uh, with the city council in Johns Creek and what the city council has accomplished. Um, yeah, so when I initially ran, it, um, one of my main goals was improving government efficiency, reducing wasteful spending, essentially looking for better methodologies to uh, Im implement our projects, our policies. And so um, I think over the past two and a half years, we've had a number of successes. Um, one of the things I initially ran on was the uh, a, a, what I consider an egregious amount of surplus sitting on the sidelines. So we had over $50 million dollars. Um, sitting there uh, waiting to be utilized and you know we had a number of uh, grandiose uh, goals uh, set forth in our uh, parks and rec plan and um, a number of infrastructure issues we had to take care of so within that vein we were able to bring the uh, surplus down the unallocated reserves, so whatever nomenclature you prefer to call it, but uh, to a more reasonable best practice amount for a public administration. Um, and we were able to allocate some of those funds to uh, the purchase of Quail Hollow and Collie Creek and purchasing our new city hall. While the city hall uh, budget did get a little uh, inflated after we got into the weeds, Long term, it will be successful um, that it uh, we're actually having uh, equity in a building rather than leasing uh, for an indefinite amount of time. So we were uh, able to allocate some of those uh, surplus funds um, to uh, much needed projects w within the city. And then uh, in terms of efficiency and using what we have, there was a number of successes that uh, I'm kind of proud of and that I personally led. And, and one of those was really uh, putting the money that we do have to work for us and uh, my issues were coming uh, around the interest being earned and, and I was pushing the city manager and the chief financial officer at that time that we really need to uh, not have our rainy day fund and uh, two to three months of reserves we keep so we don't have a tax anticipation notice so basically a, a cash float um, but 
I utilize those funds and in, in the T spots and park spot now um, as well, but utilize those uh, funds to be put to work for us and uh, allow our purchasing power not to be eaten up by inflation. And so we had some discussions and they did not want to move initially, but I, I kept pressing on an investment policy. Found out that we were keeping millions of dollars in our T-SPLOS fund in a money market account that was uh, getting 0.15% uh, uh, interest on those funds in there. Well, you know, depending on what metric you use for inflation, it really doesn't matter because that uh, inflation was eating up those interest earnings and the, the power of those funds. So we... Uh, led an investment policy and we were able to get uh, a number of our funds um, within the Georgia Fund One, which is a um, an account that's uh, intended for municipalities and counties of Georgia to place their principal and have it protected and earn a, a pretty good interest rate. I think we're around two and a half percent, but the principal's very protected. It's pretty much no risk in those funds and then our new chief financial officer liked the idea of, of having our uh our reserves work for us and so we were able to negotiate um some laddered cd rates that were better than georgia fund one with uh, a certain bank so oh, so so if i were to summarize that for uh the average listener what we were doing were we, we were saving a lot of money uh for a rainy day and uh and from an emotional point of view we were, we were covering our People could have said we were covering our bases and just making extra sure that we didn't run into a problem. But with a little bit of analysis and uh, 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 fact finding, you were able to help us reduce the amount we actually need to cover those potential risks going forward. Yes. And then with the amount that we still had left over, now put that uh, money to work with us, uh, work for us and provide extra revenues to either offset uh uh, property tax reductions or make those um, uh, the not the needs but the wants of what we would have extra revenues to get some of those you know park wants and things like that so yeah, and I think it, those are successes for the residents of Johns Creek because in fact we just had a very large property tax reduction is that correct yep yep we're down to 3.552 mills so, so. Um, I the cheapest or excuse me, it varies based on uh, obviously your house assessment, but the lowest millage rate we've had in the history of Johns Creek. Yeah. So one of the questions that people have asked me in the past was um, what happens in, in fact, one, another council member had asked me this, um, what, what happens in the future if the need goes uh, to where we, you know, for instance, uh, local option sales taxes uh, drop off the map, we go into a recession. Um, would you be willing to then raise the millage rate back up um, to you know, for, for our purposes. Is, is that something you would do in the future if needed? Could you make that case and justify it to the residents? Yeah, I, I would place the millage rate where we need, uh, need it to be. Um, however, before doing that, I would make uh, sure that whatever our needs are, are explicitly defined and that they're exactly that needs. So um, I will place the millage, or I will vote for the millage rate that will fulfill the financial needs of the city but again there's a large difference between needs and wants and so i, I first want to make sure that those uh, needs are met and then we can discuss the millage rate but yeah i i've uh um, spoke that i'm willing to raise the millage rate if if we make a, sus a substantial case for that argument 
Yes. Uh, one of the things I one of the things I think is missing a lot of times is what the overall tax burden is for residents within Johns Creek. And yeah. um, you know, it's property taxes, it's local option sales taxes, special uh, the T-SPLOS tax, uh, it's the insurance premium tax, it's the user fees. From from a resident's perspective, you know, we have a lot of dollars that flow into the Johns Creek coffers, um, and they all originate out of the pocketbooks of uh, people that live here in Johns Creek. So I, I think, you know, we have to look at the picture in its entirety, not any one individual item to say, oh, property tax was raised here, um, you know, and, you know, there's always been this... Uh, uh, backlash against politicians who've raised taxes, but you know, if as I, I have told, I even told the mayor, I said, if, if you know, if there was a specific case and we were making a positive return on the investment for the taxpayers, taxpayers in this community, because they're intelligent and understand, would support such a cause. And uh, I was told that wasn't true, but um, maybe time will tell in the near future. So, what other successes successes have you seen over the last four years in addition to uh, what you have just mentioned? Well, so, so I led the uh, the efforts to bring our community development uh, in-house. So it was being outsourced to a private uh, uh, vendor um, to provide our development resources. And we were not getting the uh, – for the amount we were paying for those services, I, I, was, saying, uh, I was thinking we were not getting the deliverables uh, that we were promised. And so by bringing them in-house – uh, we were able to save um, over six figures annually, and then we had more accountability and control. I would argue that uh, since Kimberly Greer and Ben Song have been leading that department, uh, uh, that we've had a lot more successes. The, the memos from community development have uh, been a lot tighter, a lot cleaner. Um, so, I mean, that, that was a big success because we saved money, and then it, it led to more accountability and control. Uh, for the residents of Johns Creek, and they weren't out seeking a uh, profit margin at that point. I'm all for public-private partnerships, but sometimes uh, they don't make sense in certain avenues, and especially within the community development realm, where uh, public administration is fairly adept at handling those uh, issues. I, I think in-house was the, the best course of action at that point. Well, I agree with you on the public-private part. Um, one of the reasons I voted for Johns Creek uh, to become a city was because I, I saw the allure of that relationship. And only after having watched what's gone on for the last five years with um, CH2M Hill and now uh, Jacobs Engineering uh, do I realize the pitfalls of those types of relationships because I, I certainly think there's been a lot of opportunities that we have missed along uh, our path. And only now... Um, we are, are we getting to see some results and only because we've continued to push people like myself and uh, some others in our community who have who've questioned some of the best practices that we have seen, um, which leads me to the conversation that is my favorite topic, um, uh, traffic in Johns Creek and uh, especially along the 141 corridor. Um, I know that with your help, we have gotten that third lane open southbound on 141. And I have seen um, a tremendous improvement in both mornings and evenings with southbound delays. Uh, virtually, there are none to speak of um, in both the mornings and the evenings. And, you know, I, I speak as someone who's been watching that for uh, close to 20 years now. Um, have you been given any data on the actual level of improvement that we've had on 141 southbound from Public Works? 
Not yet. Um, I requested uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, I, I do need to follow up, um, but um, uh, the preliminary, uh, just a, a small sample, was about 45 seconds a car for the, the AM peak hour uh, traffic and the reduction in delay. So we're, we're talking, you know, thousands and thousands of minutes um, for every uh, a weekday southbound um, yeah there's 25,000 vehicles that go southbound every day and if you're saving yeah. you know 20 20 say 20,000 minutes a day say for drivers in Johns Creek uh, that that's a very tangible amount and not only the frustration yeah. factor is gone now um, yeah, so, so, so we reduced frustration you can get through the intersection uh, uh, more quickly you um, the, the scope and the implementation of the project you know I, I, I brought that to Lynette's uh, Lynette Baker's our new public works director, uh, brought, it, brought it to her attention. She got it approved by GDOT, and then the construction and the movement of the, the island was in two months um, with very, very minimal costs on the improvements to that intersection. So it was cheap, it was quick, and it's been effective. And it's, it's kind of the mantra that rather than looking at you know just traffic as a whole, you look at different intersections and for lack of a better term, somehow making them chubbier or uh, be able to access capacity there or uh, adjust the light timing. Well, whatever it is, it, it's it, the key to the traffic issue is um, it's not widening lanes. It's looking at the intersections and making those more effective. Yes, I think so as well. No matter what the corridor uh how we refer to the corridor. Um, each corridor is made up of individual intersections and those intersections can either um, help alleviate a problem or create a bottleneck. And um, quite literally, um, I have been had reasons to drive up and down 141 towards McGinnis Ferry more often recently and I can say with absolute certainty that there's been a massive improvement in the flow of traffic. Um, oftentimes I only catch one traffic light between here and McGinnis Ferry and that is a far cry different than what it was uh, just 18 months ago when I would get stopped at 48% um, of all traffic lights. Um, and, and, and that was the, the frustrating thing when I was initially running and I was building relationships with some of the uh, signalization uh, innovators in, in the field. And, you know, I was bringing some of the, their products to the attention of council. Then I was uh, told, you know, our ITS or uh, intelligent traffic system was uh, operating to its fullest capacity. And I was like, okay, that's, I, I could believe you if you can just share what uh, benchmarks and performance metrics you're, you're making that assumption on. And so that was the problem that we invested millions of dollars and we had no real strong data of performance metrics. And then once I was elected, we were able to drive the conversation um, to really get a, a signalization audit, if you will. And so um, after the audit, it, they said things were pretty good and that we had, you know, very advanced technology, but things could be improved. And so that's where um, um, Public Works did bring in an expert on uh, timing and, and uh, optimizing our signals along corridors. We sent or we set benchmark data. He was like, this is what we're working with. And then we defined a few operational variables that, you know, measure different measures of success. And so we set the baseline and then we adapted the, the light timing um, to 
get better successes along those, and then we compared them, almost like a um, empirical pretest, post-test um, uh, case study. And so, looking at that, and, and like I dove into the numbers, um, you know, from a uh, frequency statistic perspective, comparing the you know the befores and afters, and, and the effects are uh, pronounced. They're both statistically and practically significant, and so. Those are just the few of the corridors that um, uh, we've been able to tackle. And so as we do more like Jones Bridge, Abbott's Bridge, things will only continue to get better. So, so, so it's really crucial for us um, to A, be data-driven, B, get the data, define what the real problem is rather than a general generality such as we have a lot of traffic, and then, and then seeking the proper solution that solves the identified problem. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, I mean, so that was kind of the, also for the TSPLOS projects, you, you know, sometimes the just uh, traffic's bad was the goal of the, the project. And I was like, well, you know, define the problem, define uh, the expectations of the solution, what, what are the modeled results, how do we measure um, the project successes? And, and we kind of have these one-page, two-page papers of uh, TSPLOS projects that really uh, define the problem statement, uh, define what uh, is your proposed solution and alternatives, and how do we measure success? And so with that, you know, it, it's led me, like my favorite TSPLOS project is the Holcomb Bridge Barnwell intersection. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it improves mobility, it improves safety. It's just all around an awesome project. And you can really see that in the problem statement and uh, the model of effects. Uh, my least favorite is just um, a straight widening of uh, Jones Bridge South um, to five or, or about the space of five lanes without much improvement on congestion or time of delay. And so when we kind of look at it from an efficacy point of view and let the data drive us, we can find out what are good projects and what are poor projects. And so um, that's why you might have me supporting one project but not the other because, you know, if we're not, we're not, uh, if we're putting taxpayer funds to a project, I'm going to be damn sure that it's going to be effective, right? And so uh, what's the point of, doing something because it feels good, right? That, that, that's the problem that I think we have sometimes um, is that we just want to do something. But well, I always want to make sure that something is uh, going to be effective at addressing the problem. Well, for those of us who watched the TSPLOS list as it came together, um, it was quite apparent that um, we were given a dollar amount of money that we were going to have to spend, and then we needed to generate projects to f spend that dollar amount, and that a lot of it was emotional and not necessarily grounded in research. And hopefully, uh, if well, hopefully we never do another TSPLOS, but if we do, hopefully we have uh, the, the data-driven approach to uh, what projects are going to be on that list going forward. So, well, In hindsight, yeah, it's like the... Bellbowls Corridor, um, that was, it was kind of vague in how it was presented, but that gave us the leeway to really look at the data and see which uh, intersections are the most problematic, uh, what we can address with these different solutions, and be able to uh, tackle some of the problems in innovative ways and that weren't, we weren't prescribed to these certain notions. And I know there's a huge debate 
whether we're prescribed or not to the specifics of the T-SPLOS. It's clear that uh, a lot of our neighbors um, uh, and, and their legal teams do not feel the same way. Um, if there's another method to get the goals of the original projects, I think that should be pursued. And if it makes the residents uh, happier and it, it uh, reduces traffic better, then I, I would not uh, see, see why there is such a problem with um, adjusting the project to make it the best fit and uh, make it solve the problem better. Well, good. So um, um, I know you're getting ready to um, seek re-election for the City Council of Johns Creek. The, fa- the election is this fall. Um, what opportunities do you see going forward for the next four years if you're re-elected? Well, so I got a lot of things uh, cooking in the transportation realm. I'm working with uh, our Professor Steve Dickerson. He was the one who um, essentially invented the IP that Lyft and Uber u- utilize today. And um, uh, he is actually in a lawsuit uh, with them because uh, I think they borrowed that IP without necessarily asking or compensating. Now, IP is intellectual property? Yes, sir. Okay. And so um, working with him on some innovative methods to uh, reduce traffic, um, and it, a lot of it has to do with uh, connected vehicles using um, in, in algorithm-based a solution of origins and destinations and uh, essentially uh, use connected vehicles to even maybe do a luxury uh, van pool. And, and this is uh, his brainchild, but, you know, th- there's enough data out there that we could uh, essentially make um, free trips to wherever you want to go um, in this space. And when I say free, it, it's uh, based on the investment um, of those folks initially that uh, will want to see this as a working capital project, but essentially using Johns Creek to um, serve as uh, an experiment of sorts of uh, different methods that we could potentially reduce congestion. One of the ones that we're implementing in the past here was the Waze carpool. We got hundreds of folks off the road um, and Waze paid for those rides. So it'd be the same concept here Um, in the utility of that is growing every day and so um we, we actually have a lot more drivers than we have riders so if you're listening and uh, tr- consider riding on ways carpool than driving but anyways um there's also uh with the intersection prioritization list uh to tackle those uh specific intersections that are really causing uh, bottlenecks or problems with the flow of certain corridors and then th- this is something I think needs to be spoken about more uh, when we're discussing mobility, but it's also having um, options to move. You you know, when we consider mobility, we usually almost view it from an intercity mobility, like to go to Johns Creek to Buckhead, Johns Creek to uh, Midtown, or, you know, people come into Johns Creek. But I think there's a lot of pressure to have solutions um, intra-city mobility. So how do we get around quickly and not necessarily within the city and not necessarily just at peak hours, right? We want to move to where we want to go in the safest and quickest manner we can. But So there's opportunities, I think, from uh, a multimodal infrastructure uh, opportunity that we could take different... uh, 
whether it be golf carts and bicycles, walking and connect those different uh, retail, restaurant areas with some of the neighborhoods when there are opportunities. So, um, yeah, I think we, we, we got to consider everything besides just widening uh, um, lanes because the, the science is out there and widening does not reduce congestion. So or time of delay, whatever metric you want to use to define. Yes. Well, I know that you work very closely with the schools and the, and the walk to school program. Is that correct? Yeah. So we've had um, Finley Oaks and Barnwell just came online this year. Um, or excuse me, Finley Oaks last year and then Barnwell just last month. And they're doing another event. And um, uh, what that... Oh, and then we also have State, uh, State Bridge Crossing, we have Dolvin, we have OC, and it's also allowing us where, you know, George Commute Options and Safe Routes School, we're looking at different opportunities for nonprofit grants to uh, aid in the infrastructure for some of that. So the investments um, may not have to be all uh, uh, upon the current Johns Creek taxpayer. So when we have these large events, we show demand and um really when, when we've had the events it really increases participation after the big kickoff events because parents do it as a first time thing with their kids the kids are pushing them to do it and the parents love it the kids love it i mean we just had wonderful reception all the way uh through you, you know finley oaks is having an event um next week and they're anticipating over 400 kids participating so i was like what that does to our uh, morning congestion and the health uh, and the well-being of our children and their parents is amazing. It's it's so many wins in those events. But, you know, that's the thing. What I tell folks is sometimes we make these enormous uh, traffic uh, issues uh, that are really only relegated to 180 days of the year in the morning due to the school time congestion factor. And so if we can look at methods to really ha uh, stopping that um, school time uh, morning traffic from impacting us so bad, then you know we have part of the puzzle completed. Uh, and, and that was one of my, again, back to the intersections, it's about intersections. The left-hand turn lane into Barnwell Elementary uh, will allow the folks who um, carpool to uh, or bring their kids via carpool to the elementary school will give them a place to queue where it won't block all southbound traffic. So we're, we're going to, and it's going to be safer for those folks too. And so uh, that's one of the methodologies where we really want to look at how are the morning time and the school time traffic impacting us as a community holistically. And so um, walk to school events, uh, ride the bus, um, carpool with as many people as possible and fix the intersections around the schools are, are kind of the ideas that we're, we're tackling. Well, I, I appreciate and I applaud the effort to get the kids walking to school. I've noticed around um, uh, several of the elementary schools, including the one in my neighborhood, that in the, in the mornings and the evenings, cars are lined up um, waiting to drop off the children. And if you think about those vehicles making you know, a trip to school and a trip back home twice a day, that's four trips uh, per day for that event. And it does add quite a bit of traffic to our local community. I, 
I'd be curious if I was in the traffic center if you see the sudden slowdown in overall traffic speeds uh, correlated to uh, when the schools start to let go of their students. I think you would find that to be a positive correlation uh, in and of itself. So, yeah. so well, very good. I do appreciate your efforts on that that benefit. Is there any way that these these schools can start doing these events more often, like once a month or? Uh, yeah, so, so we've kind of just for literary purposes, you know, to get uh, the parents and administration, we we uh, do it as Walk to School Wednesdays, and so they do it periodically. We do see a little bit of drop off in the real cold winter time, and then uh, maybe right at the beginning or end of school when it's really really hot. But uh, for the most part, like Finley Oaks is. Uh, taking it and run with it. OC has done a, a great job and State Bridge of what we're starting to hit our stride. So I think it's it's kind of a program that will grow into the administration and then um, of those particular schools uh, doing it more often and, and kind of pushing it that way. Um, well, well, I know we reward, I know we give awards to um, and recognition to uh, different entities at the city hall meetings uh, for uh, contributions to our community. Um, from different groups, you know, Boy Scouts, um, Girl Scouts, um, things like that. Maybe um, we need to make it a competitive issue where the school that has the best uh, walk-to-school record for the year gets uh, recognized by the city council for doing their part to help alleviate um, traffic issues in and, in and around Johns Creek. So that's just yeah, I mean, a suggestion. That's too. a good idea because we, we've... Um we had made it competitive, but it was almost uh, the intra-school, like between grades and things like that. But I think um, because we were just saying how uh, um, this one other school uh, was doing it uh, compared to another school, and you could tell the principal was like, oh, they had that many? So I think there is, you know, use that element of uh, healthy competition to kind of drive even better turnout and then do um, give that recognition for the, the effort and work that goes into it. So. And, and maybe not even uh, do the recognition at the city hall, but go to the school and uh, maybe have an ice cream social um, or, you know, you know, something like that at the school to recognize uh, the impact of what's been done. And that way, you know, it, you know, city hall only holds so many people, but, you know, the recognition is, is a positive factor that will in, encourage uh uh, that sort of behavior going forward, and I'm I'm all for spending money, uh, taxpayer money that uh, provides positive, positive, tangible results on behalf of all of us. So, uh, amen. So, all right. So uh, we've been talking for a while. Um, I'm trying to think about what I have missed with you. Um, there is one issue I want to bring up with you. If we can talk about it real quickly. Um, um, go ahead. I, well, I, I just want to talk about in the future too. Um, you know, one of the, my accomplishments was um, looking at things different from our procurement process and using uh, different methodologies to um, save money. And, and reverse bidding was one of those. But um, with our parts plan, as you may be aware, and I, I'm sure you are, Ernest, that uh, the original estimates for the park projects and uh, specifically a lot of the build-outs were uh, severely underestimated. So we, we have a gap in funds of what we, um, and I was on council um, when the uh, parks bond was proposed and, and the projects were estimated. But um, another is using different procurement strategies, uh, getting nonprofits and individual donors to help make up those gaps and to really um, work with other jurisdictions to see how we can um, 
get uh, the the park spawn plan implemented because I, I do think uh, we're waiting to complete a number of those projects. But th- th- there's a lot of ideas that we have out there uh, to potentially make those gaps in funding. And then obviously, I want to pursue a data driven um, stormwater plan um, uh, over the next term. So. Well, I think both of those are critical issues. Um, on the parks issue, it's my personal feeling and you know no one else's that I think we've tried to bite off too much too quickly and I know that Kimberly Greer I've watched her uh, address many issues at City Hall and you know quite honestly sometimes I feel like it's a uh, staffing issue because you know the squeaky wheel gets the oil and whatever is the hot topic du jour uh, down at City Hall pulls Kimberly and other staff members to address it and you know it's really hard to go out and you know, build parks all across the city all at the same time. Um, yeah, well, um, and, and that's something when I help community development uh, set the priorities, that's something that I don't think our priorities change every two months or, and, and to your point, the squeaky uh, wheel gets the oil, that we need to be more cognizant to not pull staff on, um, you know, based on a whim of uh, this or that. We have priorities that are set forth by the residents, by the council, and by the staff that we need to pursue effectively rather than throwing so much on our plate and, and uh, doing these uh, whimsical uh, priority adjustments um, on the fly just because, you know, um, one council member might feel it's important. You know, you know, we need to stay focused and do what we have planned and then do it well. So let me ask you this question. Is, is, are staff members um, um, entitled to say, no, we can't do that at this time? You know, I know that the city council members are not necessarily supposed to go to individual staff no, members and direct them, but it seems that's what happens. To. Yeah, and, and so. um, I think there are, um, so as I come from the private sector, this is you know, my first time working in, essentially the public administration field, I think that they're, they're reticent to say no or make those clear boundaries to council members for whether it be a political pressure, uh, organizational pressure, you know. Essentially, that's like if one of my board of directors asked me to do something in the private sector, I'd be like, sure, absolutely. But, you know, at the same time, um, I want... I, council has to abide by the charter and, and the rules we've put in place. We cannot direct staff, and nor should we be pulling them to uh, have these wild goose chases every so often. Um, so I, I really respected uh, Kimberly uh, Greer when she set those boundaries and said there is way too much on our plate to be successful. We either have to add staff or uh, prioritize which projects uh, we want done well so that's the thing sometimes people have so many things going on that they just have success on it mediocre so i i, I was i wish um staff would you know set those boundaries and, and make it clear um and especially when council folks try to direct them we have to work with the city manager and the city clerk under the purview of the charter so well, yeah i certainly seen during council meetings um um, somebody on council direct uh, another council member to uh, speak directly with Kimberly on this issue or what their wants are. And I, I cringe when I see it because it means that 
there are six other council members up there and they each go individually and give direction. I, I'm simply unsure how Kimberly can make heads or tails of that uh, process at that point in time. Um, yeah. Too many, too many, uh, too many people in charge and uh, or trying to be in charge and, and, and not enough workers in that case. So, uh, which leads me to um, the next topic, which uh, I know that I've received some campaign flyers from candidates running for city council, not only uh, for your post, but for other posts. And it's the conversation about divisiveness and working uh, better together. And I just like to touch that topic with you as well, because um, on many issues on the council, I don't see the divisiveness and I've written blog pieces about it. What I see is an effort to try to get to the data behind the issue and then have a fair and honest conversation about the facts. And unfortunately, a lot of times I see people on the council who are speaking from an emotional point of view or perspective and trying to deal with things that are better resolved uh, in a, in a fact-based uh, uh, driven decision. I was going to ask you what you thought thoughts were. Is the council just truly divisive? Do you have people just up there starting arguments for argument's sake? Or are overall this council trying to analyze it from multiple positions and then coming up with the best solution uh, for the residents of Johns Creek? Yeah, I, I'd, so I, I do believe this is narrative of uh, dysfunction or divisiveness is, is um, uh, being spread throughout the community and um in terms of my post um yes we all get frustrated but um from my point of view i am always affable i'm always respectful and i will disagree when i think uh with another council member or the mayor when i think it's in the best interest of some folks so I, i'm not just going to rubber stamp um bad policy to go along and get along and I will make my case and uh, I'll do it in a respectful manner. And if, you know, I, I, I do not win that argument or that particular vote, then that's okay. Um, I, I, I understand and, and will not react in, in such a um, hot or emotional uh, manner. It, it is, um, to some regard, there's impression management where if we are being highly disagreeable, I do recommend folks. Uh, take it offline uh, before the meeting and just, you know, say, hey, we're not going to agree on this particular issue, but let's be respectful. But no, I, I don't see the um, dysfunction or the divisiveness um, that everyone else speaks uh, of. That There are times that you get frustrated, but um, obviously that's with any role in life. So, um, well, like I started out this uh, program with this evening uh, or this afternoon, uh, I think we've seen some of the best progress and success of the Johns Creek City Council in the um, five or six years I've been observing it. And so personally, I, I thank you for it. I know it's not easy. I know there's a lot of homework to be done um, if you're going to get up there and speak on those topics. And a lot of times you just have very short notice to become uh, proficient in the issues. So I do thank you for your time on those uh, on that front. So would you like to uh, summarize your uh, uh, reasons why voters should vote for you for re-election? Um, yeah, well, again, thank you for having me, Ernest, and I appreciate the time to talk. And I encourage any listeners to go to www.votechriscoughlin.com and really look at 
some of the accomplishments, whether it be uh, some of the uh, fiscal efficiencies I made, some of the transportation successes, um, you know, so something I, it, it's kind of uncomfortable, you know, talking about your accomplishments, but I do consider this a sort of a job interview. So that's, you know, one, one of the appropriate times where you, you talk about what you've done well, but um, one of the things I've haven't communicated as well as I should have is, you know, our, um, or excuse me, my record on zoning cases and uh, support of, uh, you know, kind of the resident first comprehensive land use plan and, and some of the improvements we've been making with like the text amendment and soon to be land disturbance permit. So I, I really uh, invite you to take a look at the record and then um, I, I'd like to employ more of those data first uh, decision making processes in the future where we do have some opportunity to increase our levels of service, whether it be stormwater, parks, and transportation. So I'd like to continue the, the excellent progress that I believe I've made. And so I invite you to look at the website. And then if you have any questions, here's my personal cell, which is 770-853-9409. Text me, call me, whatever time. I have a service level agreement to get back with you within 24 hours. And so I'll, I'll do my best to achieve that goal. Well, that's always good to have the expectations laid out so um, people are not wondering, Chris. Um, yep. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I do appreciate it. And um, good luck in the election. And I look forward to talking to you in the near future. Well, thank you, Ernest. And thank you for having me. All right. You have a good afternoon. You do the same, sir. Bye-bye.